Well, welcome to Choice Online. So glad you have uh, joined us today. We are starting a new series called The Real God. It's a series that Chip Ingram put together uh, several years ago, and he has a lot of material for small groups, for family devotions and times. And so uh, we love Chip Ingram around here. Uh, one of our favorite series was called R12, Living on the Edge. And uh, if you go to Chip Ingram's app or livingontheedge.org, uh, you can get a lot of this information. And I hope you will go ahead and, and uh, do that. But we're on a, over the next two months talking as a churchwide uh, aspect about the real God. And uh, just have a simple question for you today Is your God too small? Is your God too small? We want to seek after God. We want to learn about God. We want to understand God. As I began putting this material together, I remember as a child thinking about God. And this was sort of my childish thinking of God, uh, that before the creation of the world, God was just kind of floating in the darkness of space, sleeping, and he woke up one day and said, hey, I'm going to create the world. There's a lot of flaws with that, one, that God doesn't sleep. I kind of pictured God as a human, just a really gigantic human, but still a human just kind of floating through space. Certainly God's a spirit, and, and he's different than us. And I pictured this darkness where God was floating through, but he hadn't created anything. There was nothing at that point. But God uh, chose to create. And so that was sort of my childish view of God. And uh, I don't know about you, uh, how do you view God? Maybe you view God sort of like I viewed God growing up and kind of missed some things. Uh, there's a pastor that was talking uh, with a, uh, an individual and was witnessing and sharing his face with him. And as he shared his faith, he said, uh, why don't you believe in God? And he said, well, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And he began to describe this God that he didn't believe in. And the pastor said, well, I don't believe in a God like that either. That's not the God that I serve. And a lot of times people have a wrong perspective of who God is. We want to know the real God. It's easy to get a wrong view of God. And so as we begin this morning, I don't know if you're uh, alone in the office or at home or you have your family uh, around you or what the setting is like, but here's what I'd like to do is just have a quiet prayer, just a quiet moment. There's a great verse in the Psalms and it says this, be still and know that I am God. And as we begin this series, as we move into 2021, we just want to have this quiet prayer. And here's my question. What is your mental image of God? Just think about it for a second. We're going to have a moment of quietness in, in uh, uh, just a few seconds. But do you, do you view God as this grace, gracious grandpa figure? just will give you whatever you want. Or maybe this judgmental authority just can't wait for you to do something wrong so he could punish you. Or he's just the man upstairs, just a casual someone that we can go to in time of need. Or maybe even a warm and approachable being or a cold and distant God. Well, let's just be still, just for the next 30 seconds, and maybe you can take some more time later in the day, or even if you want, just hit the pause button for a second and answer this question, what is my mental image of God? Think about that.
Dear Father, we desire to know you, the real God. May we not have a false concept or distorted view of you. I pray that over the next two months, and even in this service, that we would understand you. May you not be small in our sight, but may we see you as you actually are, as you long for us to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, be still and know God. In the busyness of life, hopefully we can take some time today and over the next several weeks to really think about our God. What if I have an incorrect perception of this God? What if I'm off? There's a, a theologian of the past, his name was A.W. Tozer, and this is what he said. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's an incredible concept, and this little statement radically changed Chip Ingram's life. He was on a mission field, and a missionary gave him this book by Tozer, and he read that statement, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Well, it just reminded me that God wants us to know him. God has showed us, he's speaking to us consistently and he wants us to know who he actually is. He gave us 66 books of the Bible. He gave us the Holy Spirit to be our guide into all truth. He gave us the revelation of Jesus Christ when he became a man and came to this earth. Jesus, the expressed image of his person or the exact replica. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus is called the Word. He is the expression of God himself. So over the next two months, we're going to see God as he longs for us to see him. We want to see God with a 20-20 vision because what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Chip Ingram said, a distorted view of God is the root of all of our problems. That's an incredible thought. He also said, the way we think about God is the most significant aspect of our lives. So how do you view God when things are going great, when things are going uh, difficult, when uh, uh, you're in a spiritual setting or when you're in a casual setting? How do you view God? Now, let me illustrate this off topic here for just a second, but uh, have you ever been around an insecure person before? Maybe a family member, maybe a distant relative, maybe even yourself. Think about an insecure person. You say something simply and they take it as criticism. Or you say something you're trying to be encouraging and they just kind of resist that. They can't accept it. Why? Because of their own insecurity. There's something I've learned about relationships, and especially when we deal with insecurity. Why is it that somebody would, would take something so uh, critically or, or won't accept that encouragement? And I wrote a little statement down here. We don't relate to people based on the way that they see us. Now, there is some reality to that, but we don't see, and we don't relate to people based on the way they see us, but we do relate to people based on the way that we think they see us. By that, I'm saying we have assumptions 
that maybe you feel a certain way about yourself, so you assume somebody else feels that way about you. Because of past experiences, because of our negative thinking, we relate to someone not just based on the way that they view us, but on the way we think they're viewing us. And so it causes an insecure person to deal with this in a much more difficult way. And I believe we relate to God in a similar fashion. Our view of him, the way we think God sees us, and the way that we think about God, the way we view God. You see, God is speaking. He speaks through creation. He's given us his beautiful creation. We see the vastness of God, his eternal power in Godhead. He speaks through our conscience, that internal voice that tells us right and wrong, and uh, we realize there's a void within us. He speaks through Jesus. He's called the Word. He's the truth, and he speaks through the Bible. Remember, the truth sets us free. And in Psalm 115, if you want to turn your Bibles, you can uh, look there. We also have these verses on the screen. But I, I want to read some verses from the psalmist here. Verse 1 says this, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy, because of your truth. The psalmist is talking about God, and he says, I want to bring God glory. He's the one that deserves honor. I, and God says, I will not share my glory with another. He is the only God. Now, the heathens, look at verse 2. The non-Jewish people came on the scene. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? This is the, the pagan group, the non-Jewish, those that didn't really understand about uh, God. And they said, where is their God? <clears throat> now, why are they asking? Because the Jewish God was invisible. The Jews did not make idols. Even in their most holy place, when uh, the priests would enter in, there was not an idol. There wasn't a place where uh, God would set. See, God is everywhere. But the heathens wanted a physical God. Maybe it was the moon, the stars, or, or, or the sun. Maybe it was a cow, a serpent, or even a person. Or often, they would create a wooden image or a metal image. We call them idols. They would have a physical God. And they would say, this is our God. The Jews didn't have that physical. God was invisible. God was much bigger. He could not be contained in a little piece of art. And so the Gentiles were asking, where is your God? Notice what they would do, verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. And notice what he says about those that get caught up in idolatry. They have mouths, speaking of the idols here, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. You see, an idol is just an image, and it's not a true God. The Jews had a true God that they were to bring glory to. The Gentiles had false gods, idols, made by their own hands, things that they tried to place God in their own image. And if we're not careful, we can do the same. 
Now, I want you to understand that we become like our God. That's why Tozer said that when we think of who God is, it's the most important concept we can think of because we end up becoming like our own God. Look at verse 8 here. Those who make them make the idols are like them. Remember what he said about the idols? They were dumb. They couldn't hear. They couldn't accomplish anything. And he says, those that make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. We are limited in life by what or who our God is. And those that were making idols would become like their idols. And if we serve the true and living God, then we can become more like our God. We just want to continue bringing him glory. Rick Warren talks about this concept in a a devotion a number of years ago. He said, whatever your value, whatever you value the most in life, you're going to become like. If you value money, you'll eventually become a materialist. If you value pleasure, you'll become a hedonist. If you value works, you'll become a pragmatist. If you value above all else Jesus Christ, then you'll become a Christian. That's a pretty good statement. And he says, don't reduce God. Don't try to fit him into our lifestyle because we cannot control God. He's much too big to do that. We become like our God. See, is our God too small? Do we really understand who God is? You may remember in the movie or the book, The Lord of the Rings, And there was a guy named Smeagol that because of his lust and desire for that ring became Gollum. You remember he's holding that ring, my precious. He so desires that it becomes his idol, it becomes his God. And he so wants it that it warps him and twists him into something that he wasn't at one point. This good human being turns into something like an animal. The Bible tells us we can have idols of the heart or even covetousness in Colossians says, which is idolatry. So God does not want us to make an image or to covet or desire anything, to have anything that has the priority over him. He is a jealous God. He wants first place. He will not share his glory and he does not want us to think inaccurately of him. He's speaking to us. He wants us to know him. We just can't reject the truth. So look here at verse 3. A powerful verse here. The psalmist is talking about bringing glory to God and not like the idolaters who made images. And he says this in verse 3. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. You can make an idol and you can control that idol. You can uh, determine what it looks like and you set it down somewhere and it's going to stay wherever you place it. But that's not true with God. God is vast. He is a big God. He is in the heavens. He's uncontrollable. And he does whatever he pleases. That's the God that we're to worship. That's the God that we're to bring glory to. That's the God that wants wants first place in every one of our lives. 
You may recall the story of Job. Job faces a lot of trials, and because of the trials, his friends come, and they start blaming him, and Job gets mad at everybody. And you can kind of imagine, after all the suffering he went through, after all the rejection he deals with, he's not happy with God, and so he's even coming before God, and God comes on the scene in Job 38, and here's what Job 38 verse 4 says. God talking to Job, he says, where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. God was saying to Job, Job, you're not God, but I am. You didn't create this thing. You can't tell me how to operate the world. It's my world. I made it, and I know what's best. Can you give me any advice, really, Job? Where were you when I created? I didn't need your advice then, and I still don't need it today. I am a big God. See, do you have a big God or a small God? In the book of Romans chapter 11, Paul is talking about the plan of God to bring us to redemption, that our sins could be forgiven and Jesus dying for us, that we could be justified or that we could be saved and go to heaven one day. And and through 10 chapters, he begins to share in chapter 10, he says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Powerful. All we have to do is believe in our heart and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we will be saved just by calling upon him and receiving the free gift of salvation. And after he deals with that, he comes to chapter 11 and this is how he concludes chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You see, God is big. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. God is so vast, his decisions that he makes, his judgments, we can't figure him out. Verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Has there ever been a point in your life that you knew something that God didn't and he's just coming to you like, how should I operate this world? What do I need to do? He doesn't need our advice. He doesn't need counsel. Verse 35, Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. Have you ever thought, man, Jesus, I'm serving you, I'm living for you. Why would problems come in my life? And he says, no, there's nothing you have ever given me or done that I didn't first give to you. God has been the giver first. He doesn't owe us anything. Verse 36, for of him, that means from him, he's the creator. And through him. He holds it into existence, and he is the reason the world is here, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. You see, we serve a big God. And I hope this morning, wherever you are, that you are thinking about this God. When you paused for a moment to be still and know that he's God, and you were asking in that question, what is my mental image of God? Who is the God that I serve? Am I serving the God of the Bible or a God of my own imagination? Chip Ingram says, if we're going to see God as God longs us to see him, if we're going to see God with a 2020 vision, there's three lenses we need to put on. The first lens is that God is not like us. God created us in his image but often man wants to create God in our image. Well, if I were God, this is what I would do. Why doesn't God do this? Why is there suffering in the world? We ask those questions, and I don't think those questions are always bad, but we need to put on that lens to realize that God is not like us. Secondly, left to ourselves, we reduce ourselves 
to manageable terms, what he's saying there is we want to control God. We want to put God in our way of thinking. You may recall when when Moses received the Ten Commandments, God had delivered them from Egypt, all the miraculous signs that had taken place. I mean, God was doing some incredible miracles. But Moses was up on the mountain a little bit longer than the Jews really wanted, and they were like, Moses, I guess he's not coming back. Let's make our own God. And they took their jewelry and made the image of a calf, and they said, this is the God that delivered us. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. You see, we try to control God, to put him in manageable terms. Chip Ingram says it's like a salad bar religion. We go and, I like this part of the Bible, this part of the Bible's nice. Oh, I, I don't want that part of the Bible, I'll leave it over there. This seems uh, too old fashioned. Well, this is too restrictive. I'll just take my parts of the Bible and live. I'll just kind of accept my own God and pick and choose what I like. The third lens is God can only be known as he reveals himself to us. You see, I can't figure God out. The Bible isn't a book where men were trying to figure out God. It was God's inspired word that he revealed himself to us. He wants to make himself known, the true God, the real God. Not a religious God, not a man-made God, not an idol, but the living and true God. Now, what is the key for us to understand this true God? Well, Jeremiah 29, 13 gives us the key. How can I know the true God? How can I not have a small God, but an accurate God? Well, Jeremiah says this, and you will seek me and find me when. Now notice, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You're going to seek after God, he can be found. You just have to seek him with all your heart. Not just a casual acquaintance, but he wants priority. He wants first place. God wants to reveal himself, but he reveals himself when we surrender to him, when we come before him in the aspect of humility. We started this service with a quiet time. Asking that question, what is my mental image of God? Is my God too small? I hope you took some time, and I hope you'll continue to take some time today or this week and to think about that question, is my God too small? What is my mental image of God? But this is how I would like us to conclude. With just a quiet moment again, And would you ask God and ask yourself, just meditate upon this thought, what do I hope will happen over the next two months? During this series, The Real God, what is it that I'm asking from God? What am I hoping to learn about God? What do I want to learn from the scriptures? What do I need from God? What do I need to learn about God? So over the next two months, if we can seek him, he can be found. 
Is my God too small? Do I know the real God? Do I believe he really wants a relationship with me? Do I believe I can know God? Do I have that correct mental image of God? Our teens around here are called the Category 5 teens. I appreciate the teens. What a wonderful thing on Wednesday evenings when we see our teens gathering or on the, the third Sunday of, of every uh, month when they, they leave here from uh, uh, worshiping with us and they go and have their own worship service. What a joy to see all these young people getting together and worshiping God. And they're called the Category 5 Teens. And their theme verse is Psalm 24, verse 6. It says, This is Jacob the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. This is the generation of those who seek him. We say often that our teens aren't the future church, they are today's church. You see, if you're a young person, God wants you to seek him. He wants you to seek him with all of your heart. This is the generation to do that, all of your heart. No matter if you're a young child or a senior adult or somewhere in between. God says, search me with all your heart. Seek me. And if you seek me, you are going to find me. Whether it be in your personal devotions or over the next two months, we're encouraging you. There's a lot of material that uh, uh, we have for you. Or you can go to livingontheedge.org and, and get the material for real God. And there's family devotions and a family devotional book. And we have that in our small groups as well for you to get. But we want you to seek God. What kind of change in your family? What kind of change in our church or in our country? Can we ask God for? What about your spiritual journey? Is there something in your daily walk that you need to ask God for? Let's get to know God. I wrote out my prayer to God the other day and I concluded it like this. I want to love you more. Paul said it this way in the book of Philippians. That I may know him that I may know him. Our prayer is that you get to know the real God. May he do a great work in your life. I'm not sure where you are. Maybe you're sitting at home and it's uh, snowing this morning or maybe you're watching this uh, in the office uh, during the week or you have your cell phone in your bedroom and you're watching it. I don't know where you are today, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to get to know the real God. And Jesus said it this way, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How do we get to know God? Through Jesus Christ. He is the exact replica, Hebrews 1 says. If I want to get to know God, I get to know him through Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, call upon his name. Ask him to save you. Admit that you've sinned. Trust in the work that he did on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. And then three days later, as he came out of that grave, he ascended to heaven shortly afterward. And he wants you to know him. Ask him to be your savior. And if you've already done that, get to know him more closely. 
He loves you. And as we saw in Psalm 115, this is the God. He won't share his glory with anybody, but he wants to know you. He's not the heathen God of the idols or, or uh, praying to some image. He's the invisible God, and he wants you to know him. He wants a relationship with you. Today, let's seek him. Dear Father, may you be glorified through the decisions that we make. I pray that you would bless families as they listen. I pray you'd strengthen marriages. Help them to know you, the true God. And may their love for you just be poured out into their love for each other. I pray for families that you would bless them. Help dads to be godly leaders. Help mom uh, to have wisdom in the way that she trains up her kids. Guide them as their kids are becoming older and as they deal with their teen years, as they move into uh, young adults, as they uh, have children themselves and, or just grant mom's wisdom. God, I pray for individuals. You know their hearts, you know their needs. I pray that we would be still and know that you are God. We pray your blessing upon the words that have been shared and the decisions we make right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us for Choice Online. Pray that God does some great things. Hey, we've been wanting to have a communion service here. The snow's hindered us. We are planning on doing it next week, so be ready for that. We will have communion here as well as online. If you haven't picked it up yet, make sure that you do that. Also, our 9 o'clock service will be a mass service, so continue to social distance and join us for that 9 a.m. service as well. And, and uh, thank you for those that give generously. If you uh, would like, uh, go ahead and uh, text us the uh, information so we can be in touch with you. We'd love to minister to you. If you have any prayer requests, go ahead and make a post or send us a note. We're here to minister to you. Uh, God bless you. Have a fantastic rest of the day. And we look forward to seeing you in a small group for the real God throughout this week. Well, God bless you. Thanks for being here and uh, have a great rest of the day.